We're walking the walk this morning and uh, we're really pleased to be introducing via Skype Jane Hart. We're very thrilled to have Jane with us. Very kindly stayed up extremely late in England to be with us here today. Jane is an independent consultant, a writer and public speaker. She's the founder for the Centre of Learning and Performance Technologies, which um, many of you may know as C4LPT. Jane has worked in business and education for over 25 years, advising those organisations on new technology and is particularly focusing at the moment on the application of social media for working and learning. And she is the author of the Social Learning Handbook, which discusses social and in informal approaches to the learning in the workplace, as well as how to use social media for working and learning smarter. And being also the principal of the Internet Time Alliance, a think tank of leading learning and business performance practitioners, helping exp organisations exploit emerging practice to work smarter. Thanks very much, Jane, over to you. Thank you very much. I hope you can hear me okay. Well, uh, you've done some grand introductions then, so I think we could probably move swiftly on to the second slide, which was the one that just basically shows you where I am based in the UK. I live quite near Bath in southwest England, uh, a beautiful city if you, if you do know that part of the world. And as you said, I'm the founder of the Centre for Learning Performance Technologies. So I won't say too much about that. And furthermore, you've already mentioned the Internet Time Alliance. That's on slide three. And some of you may recognise some of my colleagues there in the Internet Time Alliance. Jay Cross, Clark Quinn, Harold Jarkey and uh, Charles Jennings, who is actually an Australian who lives in the UK now. And as you said, we are a think tank of uh, learning and business performance practitioners and we help organizations exploit emerging practices to work at smarter and that's what I really wanted to talk to you today about how we need to move from a focus on the learning per se to that of helping our people work smarter so what is working smarter well, at the Internet Time Alliance, we've been talking about it for quite a long time now. And if you've been following us on our blogs and reading our articles, you probably know a lot about what we've been saying. Uh, but uh, Jay collected quite a lot of our materials in a number of editions of a book that he produced called The Working Smarter Field Book. And on slide four, you'll see some editions of it. And you can hear a summary, see a summary of what we think working smarter is all about. Essentially, we believe it's the key to sustainability and continuous improvement. So is this something new or are people already doing this? And I actually believe people are already working smarter. And in fact, they're using the new social media tools to help them do so. Then how do I know that? Well, many of you probably know that every year I run a little activity called the Top 100 Tools for Learning activity. And I ask learning professionals from around the world to contribute their top 10 tools. And then I collate those and create a list of the top 100 tools. Uh, tools for learning in terms of personal learning or for helping others to learn. And in fact, I've just finished this year's list and there were about 531 contributions. And if you move on to slide five, you'll see I've listed there the top 30 tools on the list. And 
if you glance down that list, if you haven't already seen it, what you'll notice is that it's dominated by free online social tools. There are very few dedicated educational training tools on the list. There's Moodle at about number eight, and there's Camtasia down at number 28. But the rest of the tools are all pretty much multi-purpose tools. And this list, as in the previous few years, I've noticed some trends appearing and emerging. And if you move on to slide six, I've listed the three trends on three main trends I see that are emerging happening. The first is that we're seeing personal learning and working tools merge. We're tools that people were using in their personal lives and are bringing into their professional and working lives. And they're using those tools very much to do things their own way outside of the use of enterprise tools or outside of enterprise systems and learning systems, in fact. And this uh, is known, but when people bring their own tools and devices into the workplace, this is known as the consumerization of IT, and it's not an uncommon phenomenon. And in fact, uh, Forrester, which is the big technology analyst, reported about this earlier this year. And if you move on to slide seven, there's a quote there from Forrester that said, back in April, around 47% of business technology users were using one or more websites to do parts of their job that are not sanctioned by their IT department. And they expected this to grow to about 60% by the end of this year, as frustrated workers work around IT to self-provision technology. Um, what's more, this is happening throughout the organization. Uh, more people are using these tools and what they're using for is to solve their learning and their performance problems. So actually we're seeing something known as the consumerization of learning. And if you move on to slide eight, there's a quote there from a recent article in CLO magazine that points out that between one third and two thirds of your employees are meeting their needs by working around you, you being the learning and development department. So social media is clearly affecting all our lives. I mean, we've seen it, it's been disrupting countries and it's now actually unsettling organizations. And it's impacting the way we learn in the workplace. And I think that means we need to reevaluate how we can support the learning in the workplace. Well, you might say that this is just the young kids who are doing this, but it's clear from my own analysis of these tools and the people who use these tools, it's not just the millennials, those born since 1980 who are using it, but it's people of all ages. And on slide nine there, picture, some pictures there. Of, of people who are using these tools, but uh, they do seem to have common characteristics. And I think we can clearly identify that they're not only web savvy, but they're also highly motivated and they're committed and dedicated to their work. And they have a clear desire to do their jobs as well as they can and improve their own performance wherever possible. And individuals with these characteristics, I call a smart worker. And they're using a huge range of tools for a number of different activities. And if, if you move on to slide 10, you can see that I've uh, plotted these into four main areas. And it, if you look at the, 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 this uh, analysis, say starting from the top right and going clockwise round, they're using them to find and create, use content on the web, on the social web, create and share content with others, to join and build networks and communities, as well as to improve their productivity. 
Now, actually, I used all this content to build a whole new resource, which I called the Smart Worker's Guide to Social Media. And if you move on to slide 11, you'll see a snapshot of the, the site that I set up. And I, I used it as a way of trying to help people understand the power of these tools, because I think when it comes to helping people in the workplace who use these tools, it really is important that we understand how to use them ourselves first so that we can really help people to become smart workers using these tools. So we got to slide 12, didn't we? And I was just saying that uh, I was able to identify eight features of how social media is impacting and changing the way smart worker works. Uh, and I could say a huge amount about each of these features, but in this short time available, I'm just going to sort of say some very key things. So the first one, I want, first feature I wanted to mention, which is on slide um, uh, 13, uh, is that the smart worker learns continuously as she does her job. And I think we need to be aware that in, the, in this fast moving world, the smart worker recognizes she needs to learn continuously to survive. And although she knows that formal training has a valuable part to play in that process, she realizes that training alone can't possibly provide her with everything she needs. In fact, in her busy working life, she doesn't have time to learn in the traditional way. As Conrad Godfridson pointed out in a recent article in Learning Solutions magazine, that today's work environment doesn't tolerate learners stepping out of their workflow to learn unless it's absolutely vital to do so. So the smart worker needs ongoing access to learning in the flow of work as she does uh, as she does her job and this is the reason why she makes quite a lot of use of google to locate content and people on the on the web in just one click from her desktop and so a lot of companies are now trying to integrate learning into the workflow and uh, there's a lot more if we could talk about that but at the end of this presentation i'll give you a link to where you can find out more about what people are doing in the how, within their response to these different features so, so the second feature then which is on slide 14 is that the smart worker wants immediate access to solutions to his performance problems he wants the answers now he doesn't he doesn't want to, have to wait he doesn't want to go on a course he doesn't want to study a problem just in case he might need it he wants to find the solutions to his problem when he needs to and so uh, that's again why he tends to go rather than the take to the learning management system to look for a course to solve his problem goes to places on the social web like YouTube and Wikipedia and SlideShare to get immediate answers to his problem and so uh, responding to this organizations realizing that they need to perhaps create more useful content in the form of simpler and shorter resources perhaps more like job aids than courses and they also realize they can't create everything that everyone in their organization is going to need. So they are encouraging workers to use existing online resources and are spending time then helping those who are not that familiar with the social web use effective web search techniques to help them to understand how to identify trusted resources. So moving away, many of them from monolithic courses to more useful, shorter content. Okay, the third uh, feature on slide 15 uh, is that some organizations then are actually tapping into this growing phenomenon of sharing on the web. After all, hundreds of millions of people share, for instance, videos on YouTube every day. And they're tapping into this uh, and encouraging their people to create and share resources one with one another. 
And there are two examples I just wanted to mention, which I've sort of highlighted on slide 16. The first was a project that took place at British Telecom here in the UK. It was called the Dare to Share project, and it was about enabling employees to learn from one another by creating short pieces of content in the form of podcasts and blogs and so forth, and sharing them with throughout the organization. And if you haven't heard about this project, then do take a look at the YouTube video and uh, you just go to YouTube and uh, type in Dare to Share and you'll see Peter Butler, who was then head of learning and development at BT. And he explains how it would have been impossible for him to have provided all the learning materials that the engineers at BT needed unless they'd taken the sharing approach to learning. And the other example was one actually that was started by an Intel engineer, set up a wiki called Intelpedia, and he got his co-workers to uh, contribute company information and Intel project, internal projects just to help them under, keep up to date with what was going on in the organization. And I think projects like this are probably already underway in many organizations initiated by individuals and teams who recognize the value of sharing. And I, so I think for, for some people, for the learning development department who's looking to sort of help people in this respect is to go and find some, a team that wants to be able to do this, but really doesn't know how to do it and uh, help them get some help really provide value to a team by enabling them to share the content themselves, create and share content themselves. But up to now, I've focused on content needs when it's clear that <clears throat> most people actually, if they have a problem, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't actually go to content straight away. They generally ask their people they know to help them. And if we move on to slide uh, 17 now, uh, in fact, a few years ago, we, we, you know, if you'd had a problem, you'd have probably asked the people in the same room as you for help. But now with access to the, the social web, people have a much wider group of friends and colleagues through their online social networks in Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it is. And it's there they go to solve their problems. It's there they ask their questions. And, you know, and for me, Twitter in, in that respect has been an enormously important uh, resource for being able to have access to so many people. And if I have questions, I can ask for support from my Twitter connections. But in, in addition to these sort of public social networks, there are also many specialist communities. And if we move on to slide 18, uh, here's a snapshot of my own social learning community, which some of you may know about. And it provides an opportunity for people from both workplace learning and education to come together and ask questions about the whole concept of social learning. And you can see uh, one comment from one of the participants there who said that she'd learned more in the last few weeks by monitoring this community than she had in the whole past year in the class. She'd actually been on a master's group, a master's class. And uh, she reckoned it was an amazing group. And I think finding these networks and communities that uh, provide allow people to have an op a valuable opportunity to build this wider network of colleagues and that's what i'm seeing many more smart workers doing and now within organizations of course um the value of these uh, public networks is often not recognized and in fact many people think they're just trivial sites 
So unless you've actually been there and got the value in themselves, it's very difficult to help the rest of the organization understand how important they are. But I do think learning development has a huge role to play in doing just that, helping people find networks where they can connect with colleagues and clients outside of the organization, both safely and responsibly. Well, let me let's just move on to 19 then. I've, that, uh, here I just wanted to say that um, clearly we're going to still need formal approaches, but we need to sort of reintroduce that social aspect that's kind of got lost with perhaps e-learning now. And I think the social media tools allow us to do that. But um, just wanted to also mention that the most effective online communities that I've seen have been built up to support uh, e-learning or round e-learning courses are those where it's fully integrated within the, co the within the content or it's actually co-created by the community. Well, ones that I've seen have just been bolted on to existing e-learning e courses that say haven't been that successful. But uh, I think there's potential there for supporting the fact that Smart workers like to learn best by sh by working with others. And we move on to slide 20. Uh, that was just another platform that I set up called the Share and Learn platform, which not only uh, brought people together and allowed them to share with one another, but actually provided the, the opportunity and the platform for people to actually set up their own groups and share informally with one another. And I think for me, that's going to be one of the future aspects of learning in the workplace. It's not all going to be driven top down, but we're going to be seeing more informal learning communities being set up. And so we're going to need to see platforms that support that so that they don't block people setting up groups and so forth. So my share and learn platform, for instance, uh, supports anybody who's a member of the platform set up a group and sharing their knowledge in a formal or informal basis with one another. Okay, we move on to slide 21. I think it's clear that also the, one of the important aspects of using social media as a smart worker needs to keep up to date with what is happening in his industry, whether that means reading blogs or feeds or even curating content himself. He is accumulating a huge amount of information. But as we know, people complain of information overload. So I think there's going to be need to help people deal with information overload. You might have heard of the saying by Professor Shirky and in, from, the New, from New York who said there's no such thing as information overload, actually. It's only filter failure. So I think another thing LMD is going to be able to help people with is support them with those filters. How do we put the filters in place to, to filter out the irrelevant from the relevant and make sense of all this norm, all this information? And moving on to slide 22, the smart worker constantly strives to improve her productivity. So these social media tools are not just being used for learning, but they're also actually to constantly to being used to improve processes and activities, either to automate tasks or even improve processes themselves. And I think that's going to be another role here for L&D to support those kind of activities with workflow audits and taking a much wider look at supporting performance in a in a more consulting sort of approach rather than just applying training to every problem that might appear and finally then number eight the smart worker thrives in autonomy and I think this for me is one of the very key ones it's probably the ones that scare most organizations because it's quite clear that the smart worker is quite a, is a self-reliant individual that's on slide 23 now and uh, he likes to make his own decisions about the tools he needs to do his job and I 
I think we we need to give uh, these smart workers or workers within organisations more autonomy to make those choices. And Dan Pink, in his book, drives a surprising truth about what motivates us, which is a fantastic book if you haven't already read it says uh, a sense of autonomy has a powerful effect on individual performance and attitude and shows that quite clearly in his book. So I think it's clearly going to be not an impossible task for us to try and manage everything that workers learn uh, in the workplace nowadays. So I think we could let go, take a step backwards, let people take more responsibility for their learning, especially where they're wanting to do that. After all, learning is a means to an end rather than the end goal. And I think the success of their learning will be evident in how well they perform on the jobs. So in other words, work, workplace learning can't we will no longer be able to measure it in terms of test or course completions, but we need to think of other ways of how to measure it, like how it's really impacted performance. So I think this all means, needs, means we need to shift from focusing, as I said, on costly, perhaps training and e-learning solutions to supporting continuous learning and performance improvement in the workflow. And I refer to this perhaps a little bit controversially as the non-training approach to workplace learning. So I think the future is going to be a balance of both. It's not all going to be formal, tra formal training. It's not going to be no non-training, but it's going to be a bit of both. Uh, and on slide 24, if you're interested, uh, I've set up this new site where I'm looking and exploring this in more detail. And uh, you're very welcome to come and have a look at what I've, the information I've gathered so far, which is the sort of uh, rationale for this new approach, what people are saying about it, and the ways in which organizations are taking a much more non-training approach to supporting learning in the workplace, and in fact, helping people to work smarter. So uh, on that note, I'll, I'll, I'll stop, and perhaps if there's any questions, I, I'll uh, be able to answer them. Hopefully the connection will stay up for us here. <laughs> We're all sitting here with our fingers crossed, Jane. <laughs> so. Thank you for a fascinating insight and I mean, an enormous amount of uh, resources there that you've opened our minds and eyes to. Any questions? Just taking the microphone to Derek, Jane. Okay. Okay. Hi, Derek. Good day, Jane. With your there. research, has there been much research for the, shall we say, the trades areas about the uptake of the technologies to assist them in learning? In the UK or throughout the world? No, in the UK. Talking? In the trades areas. I, 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 I haven't got any figures to hand, actually, but um, I certainly know there is a great big push in terms of sk the, the, the skills areas. And, uh, and also, you probably have heard that uh, we're moving back towards a sort of uh, apprenticeship model, and I think the technology is going to play an important part in that area in helping to sort of keep apprentices and and their mentors uh, in touch with one another perhaps more re remotely so i th i think perhaps we haven't seen as much as we would have liked in the past but i th I, I certainly believe it's a whole i hope it's going to uh, be much more improved in the future so not 100 percent brilliant answer to your question i'm afraid but uh, some, some of my thoughts there uh, we have another question yeah. for you now from jerry Okay. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Jane. Just wanted to ask you with uh, essentially the cycles between learning and application uh, mm. reducing so significantly, what is going to be mm. the role of uh, qualifications and 
those kind of uh, more mm. structured approaches, given that, I mean, essentially mm. half the time we're solving problems that we've never encountered <laughs> before? Well, I, I think you know, it's still going to continue for some time to come. I'm not saying whether we're going to wipe that all away, but you're right. Um, you know, a lot of it is, is problem-based. We just need the problems to, uh, um, and we need to move on. But I, I, I suspect qualifications will persist for some time and they're still going to be seen as a sort of standard of which, you know, against people which are going to be measured for, for, for a good while to come. But um, maybe they're going to need to change a little bit in terms of what we, we give them skills to learn and acquire this information rather than just pump people's heads with information. I think what what the content and the curriculum, if you like, of those qualifications will change. It won't be about a matter of having to memorize all the facts and figures, if you like, but knowing where to go to find those that information when you need it. And I think that will be a much more appropriate way of helping people acquire the skills to, to learn throughout their, their working lives and their, their personal lives as well. Hi, Jane. My question is, I guess, very similar in relation to what that last question was. And mm -hmm. it's really about the workplace. Will do you still see that qualifications are valued in the workplace? And um, <laughs> they used Good a lot question. here for pay yeah. scales <laughs> and um, pay increases and that sort of stuff. Um, how does mm. that fit with this smart learner concept? Which, yeah. by the way, I totally agree with, because I think that's going to be a big dilemma for us. Well, clearly, you know, this isn't going throughout all organizations but the ones that are looking at in these new ways are thinking about rewarding performance so perhaps not rewarding necessarily qualifications but how people do on the job and uh, I think that's going to be an, an interesting approach so you know salaries won't necessarily be based around what qualifications you have any longer but your how you actually perform so but as I say that you know the, these new approaches are very still very uh, in the very early adopter stages yet. So I think there's over the next few years we'll be seeing quite a lot of um, activity in, in in looking at these kind of problems. So I think for the time being, you know, with still qualifications are still going to be the most important way forward. But um, I think things were going to change in that area as well. In fact, the whole workplace, is, as you know, as I tried to suggest, is changing. The whole of business is changing. Everything's being turned on its head and. The new, the new approaches to management and just just the way people conduct the business is changing. Now, there will be many organizations that stay behind the curve for a long time to come yet, you know, and will be dragged into the future. But there are, there are many out there in the vanguard who are really rethinking the way they all of this takes, all the whole business takes place. So I think it's a good idea to sort of just keep an eye on sort of some of the key areas. And if you follow feeds and look at some of the activity going around about social business and the enterprise 2.0 and what effect that's happening having on the whole of the organization. We have another question, this time from Jen Batten. Thanks, Jane. With the um, research that you've done, could you give any insight into how we um, support the traditional worker to become the smart worker? I mean, yeah. the smart <laughs> workers have always been the easiest ones for workforce development yeah. to, to uh, work with. Um, how do we bridge that gap? Yes, that, that's a very good question. And I think as much, if perhaps not more, activity we're going into helping to, to make a, the traditional worker, if you like, a smart worker. And it'll be 
those things we've always wanted to do with learners, which is about helping them become more self-directed and more autonomous and responsible for their own learning and learning how to acquire information and search the web. Some of those basic skills, which we've just you know, overlooked really, as we've you know provided them with many sort of online courses. But I think it will be going back and really helping learners become much more agile and uh, responsible for their own learning and not thinking that you know every every time they need to solve a problem they've got they've got to go on a course to do so so i think it's going to be a lot about shifting mindsets but not just with people individuals workers as well but also in managers too who think that every problem needs to be solved by hand you know tending somebody on a course so it'll be education all round but i think we like we need to do that by not by training people as we've done but by using some of the principles and the ways that smart workers are working to do that so it might be mentoring uh using uh people with those skills to help others acquire those skills. It might be encouraging people to have informal learning communities. It might be the sharing of information. So I think we can only change practices and encourage people to become smart workers by uh, immersing them, if you like, into the practice of being a smart worker and so that they can see what it means. And my colleague, Harold Jockey, talks about modeling good behavior, modeling the behaviors we want. And I think this will be an important role for learning and development as they model the behaviors they want to see in the learners and the workers. So in some ways, it starts with learning development to start creating communities of practice and sharing resources and doing all the good things that I've been talking about today and then helping their people to do so. So. I don't think we need to see them, you know, polarize the learners as, you know, some are smart and some are not, but try to get them all working together. And so that perhaps the ones who are not so comfortable with smart working can, uh, as I say, acquire those new skills in a very um, a more, more effective way. Thanks, Jane. And actually, what you were saying then echoes um, an earlier speaker. We had Dr. John Buchanan from University of Sydney in workplace research. And he talked about um, the need for champions in industry and, and to drive the, the smart worker. So that was mm. a nice echo. Thanks. And we have another question Good. from Simon. Hi, Jan. Um, my Hi, question Simon. is regard uh, to your uh, learning forums. When you, were uh, when you were developing them, what were mm. some of the biggest challenges you found with developing them in industries that might not have had a, a system like this in place before or a, or a plan or something in regard? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, the, my I always say don't try and force this on people who are not ready or comfortable to do this. You can't force people to be social. You can't force people to go to a party and have a drink and talk to everybody. So you can't force people to start doing this, these, these things. You need to work with the groups of people who really have a desire or interest to do that. And then, and then start small and then grow it out. Also, not do this sort of top-down implementation of a platform and make sure you know everybody's got to be participate in it. What the, the best like, times I've done it, I've worked quite in a viral sort of way. So we, you know, we've done it with a little project with a few people, and then they've spread the word to other people who who wanted to get involved. But as soon as you start telling people that this is something they have to do, then they shut down and not interested. But if you have a little bit of mystique around it, um, people don't really know what's happening and they want to get involved. It, it actually creates uh, much more interest in it, and uh, it's almost it's a psychological sort of approach to it, I suppose, a different psychological approach. So the the most successful ones have been the ones that have come on. 
been bottom up, if you like. They've been we work with the people who want to do things, not impose it on them. Then they spread the word, and then it acquires the momentum it needs to sort of be self-sustainable. We have another question yeah. here from Tim. I think this will be our last question for time. Okay. Jan, I work for a large organisation that brings in um, entry-level people mm -hmm. on a traineeship basis um, who are obviously going to be very, very um, savvy with all the tools that, that mm. you're currently using and, and many of us are still coming to terms with. Um, I approached our HR department recently and said, look, have we got a policy that's being rolled out to help guide me in terms of bringing these new people into the organisation for a 12-month period? on the use and the misuse and how not to access these tools that's going to damage the organisation, that's not going to lead them into traps of giving away corporate secrets inadvertently through discussing things that they think is online or won't be viewed. And our HR department sort of ran a mile because we don't even have access for our casual staff to the intranet yet, <laughs> let alone uh, you know, a guidance policy. Do you have any tricks and techniques um, or models that you can suggest we, we look at in terms of organisations that have developed a policy that works, that, that uh, incorporates the use and also how not to abuse the, uh, the tools that we've got from the corporate perspective as well as, so you can actually then activate the e-learning strategies from a, a practical point of view. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Um, now, a lot of organizations have taken a very heavy-handed approach to this, you know, and created sort of policies like that go on for like 20 pages and you must do this and you mustn't do that. And it, it really killed every any kind of innovation or creativity in using these tools at all. So the best ones I've seen are the ones that are really more common sense. You know, if you, things like, you know, if you go into the pub, would you talk about your business when everybody is around to hear about it? So just use common sense. So there are a, a number of common sense social media policies around on the web to look at. And uh, it's about, you know, creating one that suits your organization. Some some organizations, obviously, things need a little bit tighter than others. Uh, I, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about one that I saw that came from Australia. Is there a, is, is there a telecommunications called Telstra? Is, am I, is oh, that yes. right? Is that, is, They've done a. They've uh, created a sort of like a cartoon type approach to uh, social media policy to explain to their employees how to use these tools safely and responsibly. So that might be one that you want to take a look at. And that it takes a little bit less. It's less less formal, and I say less rigid and top down and and, and uh, enforced approach. So um, if you do go for a search, then. And I would suggest you try and adopt something very, very lightweight and not too heavy-handed, and just enough to provide the, the guidance for you for the people who are using these tools. If they're going to speak externally about and use them for external purposes, as well as you know, to keep your, your organisation happy. But you know, please don't try and you know, <laughs> say anything too too complicated or unwieldy, because it really then it's just uh, in my experience it hasn't really worked very well at all. It reminds me of that old four-word ink sheets. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's all you need, really, something as simple as that, I think. <laughs> there's a one. There's a great one for using uh, using Twitter safely, and it's actually uh, Twitterable. It's, got, it's 140 characters long, you know, and it's things like be honest, be responsible, whatever it is. I can't remember the exact wording of it now. But, you know, something very simple that really just says everything you need to say without really making people feel in really very sort of... Um, 
constrained and, and, and overmanaged by this stuff. It's after all, uh, a lot, I think, of the early policies that came about where people were really scared about, they didn't know what was happening. But in fact, in most cases, there have been very few really serious problems out, out there. And, and in fact, in most internally, people use these tools very, very responsibly. And after all, most of the things you have to log into anyway, so your name is attributed to them. So if you know if someone's going to say something, they're hardly going to say it with their name sort of splattered all over everywhere. So I think we, one can take a little bit of a sort of a, a step back and, and not worry too much about these things. But you know, just have some a little bit of guidance, and I think more perhaps to help people with their own privacy as well. That's probably the most important thing. So if they're going to use Facebook, help them understand. And, you know how to set the privacy settings properly on Facebook so they're not all and sundry can see all their pictures they might not want to show around the place so just little things like that I think are important thank you very much Jane well I'm afraid we are out of time now um, okay. and you've held everybody pretty spellbound which is fantastic from 10,000 miles away <laughs> and um, and we've proved that we've we can succeed um, I'm not sure if that's with or despite technology um, <laughs> probably both and it's and it's demonstrated one of the key lessons about e-learning that you, you must be persistent um, and always have a backup. That we'll be moving, we've got about a... So I would ask you to please clap loudly and I'll hold the microphone high. <laughs> and Thanks very much for inviting me. Thank you very much for joining us. You've, it's been fascinating, lots and lots of ideas and things to follow up. And um, we thank you for, again, for the uh, unreasonable time um, that you've had to do, to do this in the 24-hour no cycle. Um, but it's great demonstration. So thank you very much. Okay, thank you.